Are you ready for, for, this is the conclusion of Angels and Demons. I really think I was amiss when I, when I titled this series Angels and Demons because I, I, I feel like it's more about how we are here on earth and, and it's not about spiritual realms or demons or angels, but it's about our relationship with God and how that intertwines with with the spiritual realm and how how demonic activity wants to destroy, wants to stop you from having a relationship with God. That that's that's the essence of it, right? And so um, they 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 meaning demons, Satan, his kingdom, his his strategy is to do everything he can. To, to get you to question God, to get you to, to move away from trusting God. And it started in the Garden of Eden. It started with, with him and uh, the serpent and Eve. Did God really say, right? It's that, the whole idea, like, like, is it really gonna happen? You know, is Jesus really gonna come back? And so that's the whole strategy of the enemy is to get you, get me, get us as a church to just pull away from what God has for us, pull away from our relationships. And if he can do that, then he wins. Then he wins. So Paul addresses that. He addresses it. And um, this is what he says. He says, finally, we're in Ephesians chapter six. Probably a very familiar passage of scripture to many of you. But if it's not, uh, I hope to bring in a, a new a new. A perspective on what Paul's teaching the church of Ephesus. He says, finally, he's coming to a close in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Is it me, but is there like a little lisp at the end of this in the sound like it's, I, don't, I don't know if we can correct that as I'm going through but it's, it's, it's um, distracting me verse 13 says therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to, everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that when I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, for I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The very ending of Paul's letter has, has given the church community so much challenge because is it really about rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil? Is it really? Or is it really about us being who God called us to be? I, I, I don't think it's about spiritual forces and, and evil places. It's a tag, and you'll see what I mean by this as we, as we dive in. Ready? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you are doing in this place. God, I pray as Paul asked the church of Ephesus to pray that my words, Lord God, we would speak it fearlessly. We would speak it boldly, Lord God, that we would, we would speak it correctly, 
as, as your Holy Spirit would have intended for the church of Ephesus to understand as we would understand in the 21st century. God, I pray that there is, there is a, a severing, Lord God, a, a recalibration of our minds and our hearts towards, towards how we are living. And God, I pray that ultimately that when you call us to make decisions, that we would, would be brave, we would be courageous, and we'd be obedient. In your holy name we pray, amen and amen. Well, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> October is the month when people celebrate ghosts, goblin, and witches. Did you know that? You probably, you probably have blocked it out of your mind. It's, it's the month and in, in the time where vampires and werewolves come out and they hunt their prey, right? It's, it's when darkness is free to roam. And you know what? We participate in all of it. Oh, y'all are quiet. Let me repeat that. October is the month where people celebrate ghosts and goblins and witches and vampires and werewolves and all these, all these evil things that, that, that lurk in the darkness. Darkness has its reign. It has its freedom to roam. And you and I participate in this evil without thought. Without thought. We, 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 we have been programmed to accept evil as harmless and good. I want you to think about this. We have been programmed to accept evil as harmless and as good. Isaiah 5.20 says, you know, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It says, woe to those people who are inverting the, what, what is good is actually evil and what is evil is actually good, but yet we participate in this all the time, every year in October. I believe that we have been desensitized to all the evil around us. Desensitized. We, 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 have, we have become immune to, to the evil. And because we have become immune, our ability to identify what is supernatural has been weakened. The ability to identify what is actually supernatural and real has been weakened by the ruler of the kingdom of this air. Let me clarify this. Our defense are weakened because we have given what Paul would call a foothold. We had given the devil a foothold into our lives. Some of us have even become roommates with the enemy and you don't even know it. Some of us have allowed evil and wickedness into our homes to a great degree thinking it's harmless, thinking it's okay, we become those people that Isaiah has talked about. Woe to those people who call good evil and evil good. We have become so desensitized that we have, we have bunkered with the enemy. He lives right in your home. Why? Because you and I have given him a foothold. We have, we have allowed him to come in and do what he wants to do. It's not because he has this great power over us. It's not because he can command you to let him in. No, it's because we allowed him to come in. We've allowed him. And when you give someone permission and authority to be in your life, well, that's what they're going to do. And the enemy is no different. Listen, all hell is breaking loose in your life and you are powerless, powerless to stand against the devil because you don't even realize that you've given him that permission. Like, why can't I not defeat this and you fill in the blank. Why can I not overcome this? And you fill in the blank. Why can I not tell the enemy to? And he leaves. You have given him permission. 
Like you're, you're asking him to do something that you've already given, given him permission to overcome, to usurp any authority that you might have. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's called, it's called an entry point. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, you know, whip out a soapbox on, on, on everything that's evil in the world. I'll let you and the Holy Spirit wrestle with that. But I will tell you that some of you cannot and will never overcome your spiritual battle because you've given those entities permission to be in your life. Whether it's through hatred, whether it's through unforgiveness, whether it's through bitterness, whether it's through, through the things that you permit to come into your home, right? We can go down the list. The level of entertainment that's in your house, you're like, but it's harmless. We've been programmed to say it's harmless. We've been programmed to say that it's, it's not, it doesn't bother me. Remember what we've learned so far about demons and about angels. They're created beings. They are created beings. They're not God's equal. They're, Satan is not God's opposite equal. I, I have to reiterate that. I think some people, we put Satan at, at, at a level of God's authority and power, and, and he's not. He has great power. He has, he, has, he has authority on this earth, but he is not God's equal. He's not God's opposite equal. He can't be everywhere at one time. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He is a created being. And like all created beings that God have created, he has intellect. He has a will. He, he has strategies. He's, he's powerful. He, he, he lives in a spiritual realm that you and I cannot see. And so when you look at this, this angels and demons idea and go, what's my position in, 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 this, in this world versus angels and demons? Well, that's a good question. You just have to know that they are created just the way you were created. The difference is the Bible doesn't say they were made in the image of God. Us, we're made in the image of God. However, we see when Lucifer, that's his, that's his angelic name, Lucifer, when he's in heaven, he's able to convince a third of the angels to follow him and to, and to rebel against God. So that, that gives us a lot of information about his ability to reason, his ability to influence. And so he, he influenced a third of the angel. No one knows what, what that number is. But it's a third that left with Satan. And we also know that when he was kicked out of heaven, that he's an organized foe. We learn that from Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 when they accuse Jesus of, of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. He says, no, listen, I, I'm not using Beelzebub's power. Besides, Satan would not divide his own kingdom. Right? Jesus gives us another insight to how the kingdom of the enemy works. There's strategy to it. He's not going to fight amongst himself. Although we have this, this concept, this idea that, you know, there's these ranking demons and they're all trying to take power and, and rule hell. No, not at all. That, that's such a Hollywood idea of, of spirituality. I'm telling you, according to scripture, Satan is the leader of these guys and he's organized. We see it throughout scripture. We see it in the book of Daniel, the ninth chapter, where the, where, where the archangel is fighting to send a prayer, an answered prayer to Daniel, right? And the, Greece of, uh, of, or the, the prince of Greece is fighting the archangel. And he tells Daniel he has to go because the, Greece of Persia is, or the, the prince of Persia is coming. In other words, he now has to engage in another spiritual fight. They're organized. They meaning the enemy. He is organized. And, and, and I want to make it very clear. I know you, you've probably heard all your life that Satan is the enemy of God. I, I have a different philosophy about that. I think an enemy has equal opportunity to win a fight. If you and I are in a fight, you probably have a 50-50 chance to win a fight, right? That makes you an enemy. <laughs> Satan has no chance to win a fight. 
Zero chance. Zero. So you know who's the enemy? He is. He's our enemy. He is our enemy. He's not God's enemy because at the end of the day, when you read the scriptures, God puts him in his place. He, he, the, the, heaven, the angels of heaven battle against the angels of, of, of the demonic angels, and it's over. It's done. Satan goes to the abyss. We come, those of us that are saved, we spend our time with God for eternity, forever. He has no opportunity to win in a fight against God. So here's the problem. He has the opportunity to win a fight against you. Did you hear me? He has an opportunity to win in a fight against you. If he can get you to walk away from God, if he can get you to, 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 to do what he tried to get Job to do, to curse God, if he can get you to, to say that your relationship with God is not worth it, if he can get you to, to walk away from it, then he's won that battle with you. And that's what he wants to do. I think it's very clear, and, and, and we need to make it clear, that, that his whole purpose is to divide and conquer. His whole MO is, is to get you to turn against God, to turn against the people of God, and, 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 to, and to sabotage your relationships. That's why Jesus references him as the, as he's like the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. And as long as God's people stand strong and unified, he cannot subdue us. Are you listening to me? He cannot subdue you. He doesn't have the authority to overtake you. We must never forget, must never forget that Satan will not and cannot defeat God. It is impossible for him to overcome God. Impossible. It is impossible for Satan to win this battle, to win this war. So you and I should take great joy because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that is the key. If Jesus is not in you, then you're going to lose the battle. But if Jesus is in you, well, you have, you have complete victory. Doesn't mean you won't face hardship. Doesn't mean you won't face the battle. Doesn't mean you won't, you won't have some hard times in life. It just means at the end of the day, when the trumpet blows, you're going to be caught in the air with God. Or if you're taken home before Jesus comes back, you're going to be permitted into the kingdom of heaven because Jesus is with you. Amen? And so in Ephesians, we're reminded of our spiritual battle against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces in heavenly realms. I don't have time to get into the, the differences between rulers, authorities, and, and powers versus, you know, spiritual evil forces because they're, they're different entities. But you have to know that rulers and authorities and powers deal with this world deal with the ideology of this world, deal with the worldview of the leaders of this world. There are people that are rulers over us. And to act like they're not is to be foolish. Our government, our government is a ruler over us. There are people that have authority over us. There are people that have power in this world that you and I don't have. And, and they are real and they are... They are implementing the the worldview of an antichrist and you and you can just you can go online you can research it all you can see how people in power are anti-god and all how all that is is playing into the church but that's not my assignment today and my assignment isn't also to deal with with forces of evil they're there they're real i I think my assignment today is to talk about what Paul wanted the church of Ephesus to learn. And so here, here's the first point, as our time always escapes us. Here's our first point, is we're called to stand firm, right out of scripture. We're called to stand firm, verse 10. In his closing remarks, he's like, he's telling the church of Ephesus, church of Ephesus, he's like, finally, guys, I've come to the end of my letter. I've come to my closing remarks, and, and this, is, this is what I want to leave you with. I want to inspire you with the words of the Lord from the Old Testament. 
you probably they're not worded the way God spoke them, but they they are they they resemble they 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 give us insight to how Paul studied the Old Testament or the old scriptures, the scrolls. Right? He says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power." It's an imperative. It's 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 a, a command. It's you must. It's not a suggestion. And where did we see that before? Where have we seen this imperative before? We see it in Deuteronomy 31 where God tells Moses, right? He says, Moses, you need to tell the people, be strong and courageous. He says, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, meaning the enemy. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, Paul wasn't just writing words just, just so he can come to an end of his letter. No, he's using the scrolls. He's using the, the old prophets to encourage the church of today. And it still stands firm with us today that we need to stand strong and we need to be courageous. Where, where else have we seen this, this phraseology? We see it with Joshua. When God's talking to Joshua, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead the people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. He says, be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. The call to live with strength and courage is an imperative. It's a command. And I want to I remind you that you and I are to live with strength and courage. It's what Paul tells the church of Ephesus. He's like, listen, there's hard times. There's, there's things that are going to press against your Christian walk. There are things that are going to press against your mind. There are things that are, that are going to make you want to throw in the towel. But I'm telling you to be strong and be courageous because God's with you. But I don't know about you, there are times when, when strength and courage eludes me. I, I feel like I'm more on, on the side of, of being a coward at times. Because strength and courage is, is not, most of us think of that, that heroic picture of someone running into a burning building and saving someone's life, right? That is a portion of strength and courage, but that's not the strength and courage that Paul's talking about. He's talking about the the, the characteristic, a personal character of strength and courage. In other words, it's strength and courage when you do the right thing when no one else is looking. That's strength and that's courage. When no one else sees your behavior, when no one else knows what you are about to do or what you're thinking, listen, it takes strength and courage to be righteous. Because the, the, the mind works like, well, no one's going to know. And what they don't know won't hurt them. But strength and courage says, I'm going to do right in spite of what anyone knows. God knows. Strength and courage. Strength and courage is, is, is being able to be nice. When someone's mean and mistreating you, that's strength and courage. You might not see it that way, but someone could be blasting you at work and you have every right to stand your ground. You have every right to, to push back and set the boundaries, but strength and courage hold you firm, hold your head up. In spite of what they're saying, you are going to tame your tongue and you're going to control your temper and you're going to you're going to you're going to respond with kindness and gentleness that's strength and courage you know fear fear can be can be a foe or can be an ally when it comes to strength and courage it really can. We have an emotional fear. God put us, God put it in us so that we, we know to, to run when, when danger is, is, is present, right? And, and um, that's when fear is healthy. It keeps us from doing silly things, keeps us from, from making silly decisions, the fear of consequences, the fear that, 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 that we should uh, fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. That fear is healthy. But then there's a fear that, that just overtakes us and makes us a coward. 
There's a fear that overtakes us and makes us, makes us foolish. And, and, and it, it strips, of, strips us of any bravery that we might have. Like when it's time to share the gospel of good news. There's that fear of what would they think of me? This group of people, they don't even know that I go to church. You know, that, that, that fear that might rise up because of reputation, because of what other people might think. That's when the Bible says, be strong and courageous. It's hard. It's not easy. But we're called to do it. Here, here's, here's the thing. God identifies fear in the heart of Joshua. He's like, my goodness, I have to lead millions of people into the promised land. And I don't know if I'm ready for this assignment. I don't know if I'm ready to to get the people where they need to be. There's a sense of, of timidity. There's a sense of, I don't know if I can do this. And God's like, I, know, I recognize it in your heart, Joshua. So I'm going to tell you, you need to be strong and you need to be courageous. This wasn't like a, a pep talk saying, hey, you're going to go out there and you're going to score the final touchdown. No, this was, you need to be, because I'm telling you to be, obey your Lord. How do, I just, how do I just mustered up strength and courage in the midst of, of fear? How do I stand strong when, when the pressures are, are coming against me? And, and here's, here's the key. If you do not trust God, you will not have strength and courage. You won't. The only way to have spiritual strength and courage in your life is if you trust God. And it becomes another indicator. When you're in your battle, when you're facing the enemy, when you're facing this world and you lack strength and courage, it's because you don't trust God. When you trust God, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I am not going to get burned in this furnace. I don't know how, but I am not going to drown. I'm going to walk on this water, as Peter would say, right? I don't know how, but I am going to not be eaten by the lions because I have strength and courage that comes from my trust in God. You have to get this in your soul because you're not going to win your spiritual battle if you do not trust God. It starts with your trust in God. If you trust God, then you can receive a command like have strength and courage because you know that your God is bigger than anything because you know that your God can defeat anything because you know that your God is wiser than anything. But if you do not believe that, when the battle comes to your doorstep, you are going to falter, you're going to stumble, you're going to crumble under the pressure. But if you trust the Lord you will have strength and courage. You will be able to do what Paul says, stand firm in the Lord's mighty power. Unless you trust him, you are not going to stand firm. You won't win. You won't win. And we can't win without the power of God. We can't. I need the power of God in my life to win. You, you need to know this, that, that if this is the elementary introductory teaching of Scripture, that it starts with your faith and trust in God. If you don't trust him, oh my goodness, everything else is, is, is out of grasp. It's out of reach. You want spiritual power, you want, you want anointing for preaching, you want all this stuff in your life that comes from heaven. Heaven's not going to give it to you unless you trust. Unless you trust. Listen, David figured it out when he fought Goliath. David, what, what, what allows a warrior like David who is inexperienced go into the battleground and face an experienced giant? What allows him? His trust in God. How do you know? Read the story. He's like, listen, you come to me with javelin and spear, but how, do we, how does he come to the, the enemy? He says, I come to you in the name of the, the Lord. That's where his trust was. 
Oh my goodness, when you figure it out, you will win the battle. It's like Abraham figured it out when he's asked to sacrifice his son. He trusts God. God said, listen, this is your one and only son. I, I need you to sacrifice him. And, and he doesn't argue with God. He says, point the way, right? God points him the way to the Mount Moriah, and he has to go and trust God to the very point where he's about to engage in the act of sacrificing his son, and God provides You have to figure it out. It's like Noah building the ark. There's no rain. There's no, there's no, there's never been rain from heaven. And there's Noah and he's building the ark. And the only reason he builds the ark is because he trusts what God said was coming. It's like Samson. He figured it out. He destroyed a thousand Philistines because he trusts God. Listen, every one of these characters that I mentioned to you, they were not perfect. There's the only perfect person that trusted God was Jesus Christ himself. They, you, can, you can pinpoint failures in their character. That tells you something. It tells us that God is not asking us to be perfect because we can't be perfect. It's impossible for us to be perfect. But what he is asking you to do is be strong and be courageous in your fight against the enemy. He's asking you to be strong and be courageous in this world that we live in. He's asking you to trust him is what he's doing. Trust me. Trust me. Be still and know that I am God. Trust me. Trust my words. Trust my son. Trust the work that I have done. Trust the work that I will do. Trust me. You cannot, I cannot stand firm unless I trust God. Here's the second point, is who, who our battle is with. Paul says, finally, I'm coming to the end of the letter. You need to be strong and courageous, stand in God's mighty power. How do you do that? You trust him. You trust him. You want to be strong and courageous? Trust God. You want to stand in his mighty power? You trust him. But in your trusting, you need to identify who the real enemy is. That's what he's saying. He says, listen, in verse 12, he's like, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and he gives that little, that little two sentences. See, the emphasis is not about spiritual battle. The emphasis was they were fighting among each other. If you read the letter of, uh, of Ephesians and you look at, at the context of Ephesians chapter 1 through all the way to chapter 6, you'll see that Paul goes to great efforts. He goes to great efforts to, to encourage, command, to teach the people of God that you cannot live like you used to live. There was a certain way they used to live, and that was like Gentiles. They were, they, they were foolish in their thinking. They gave themselves over to all kinds of sensuality. Listen, that's how the old life was. But you're supposed to live this new life with a new attitude, and he does it from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. And, and somewhere in the journey, they, they were at odds with each other. Right? When you start living with people long enough, you get at odds. <laughs> You're like, I really don't like this. You know, it's, it's, it's the hairdo for me, or it's, uh, you know, it's the way you dress for me, or it's the attitude for me, or, you know, you can keep going on and on and on. All the old people have no idea what I'm saying. I'll talk to the young people over here. And so <laughs> you can inform them what that means, right? And, and so you, you go on and on about all the discrepancies and, and, the, and, and the issues that we have with one another. And Paul's saying, listen, there's a way that you're to live. And if you live this way, you'll realize that we are not the enemy. The enemy is the world. The enemy is these rulers and these authorities and these, these power, right? You can almost see Paul in his day. If you're, if you're familiar with history, you, you can see Paul and how he's looking towards the rulers of the day that hated Christianity. And then he says there's these spiritual forces that are evil that are at work. Those are the enemy. But you and me, we're not enemies. 
Doesn't matter if we don't see eye to eye on things. We're still not enemies. And that's what he was trying to get them to understand is that, listen, if you would do your part and you would unify yourselves together, well, then the enemy cannot win. He's like, here's the point. The focus is not rulers and authorities and powers and uh, spiritual forces of evil. The focus is your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. Where, where have we heard that before? In Mark chapter 12, he says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked, all of all the commands, all the commands, which is the most important. And Jesus, he says this, he says, the most important one is this. He says, love the Lord your God. He starts it off with love. That's the most important command is to love the Lord your God. How are we to love God? With all of our heart, with everything about us, right? Our minds, our heart, our soul, our strength. That's how we're to love God. And the second is this, is to love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. And I love at the very end, it says this little word right here. says there's what? No. No commandment greater than this. What do you think Paul's point to the church was? That there's spiritual forces that are at work against your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a sub-tag. Or the focus could be there's no greater commandment than this, is that we're to love God and we're to love one another. Doesn't minimize our enemy, but it refocuses our perspective and it refocuses what we're really supposed to hone in on in our Christian walk is loving God and loving one another. If we are together, well, it's harder for him to win. The whole focus is to love God with all of our essence, and to love the people of God, and to love people, our neighbor, the same. Can we truly say that? As a church, can we truly say, hey, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my essence, but I, uh, you, I can tolerate you. You, I, I, don't, I don't really click with you. No, we're, we're to love them with the same essence in which we love God. In spite of the evil days, in spite of the, the, the trials we might face together, in spite of what the enemy does in your life, in spite of the test that you might be going through, we are to love God and love people. I cannot say that enough. The point of winning the spiritual battle is to trust God, love him, and love people. Because when we're together, no foe can overcome us. Here's, here's some things about the way we're supposed to live. My goodness, we, where does my time go? What time do I have to finish? 11.40, okay. 20 more minutes. We, we have this, right? Here, here's, here's some things under who our, who, our, who our enemy is or who we are at odds against. It's not one another. And the reason it's not is because we're called to live a certain way. We're called to live a life worthy of the calling. I, I need this to get into our spirits. Ephesians 4 says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You're to live a life worthy of the calling. We're, we're, to, we're to live a life that, that, that exemplifies that is completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. In love, there's that word again, love. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Sometimes we don't make the effort. We, we, we hold our positions, someone did something, and, and I'm just upset. No, here's how we're to live. We're to live a life worthy of our calling. 
That's how we're to live. We're to be humbled. We're to be gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. We're to live a life of love. Ephesians 5 says this, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, because you are loved, walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. How am I supposed to walk in love? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to sacrifice my life for you. I'm supposed to give up my conveniences so that others can flourish. That, no one wants to hear that kind of Christianity because the world that we live in is like, what can I do for me? What is all this about for me? How am I going to prosper in this? How is this going to advance my life? No, the idea of Christianity is reversed. You got to turn that idea on its head and say, what can I do for the church? How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can God use me to, to, to change this world? What can I do to help my church? We don't hear that type of Christianity anymore because, because what we're trying to do, and, and, and man, we've been guilty of it too, is, hey, how can we get people into the seats in the church house? Well, I know. We'll preach a, a message that encourages everyone and makes everyone feel like a 10. We'll preach messages that just, you know, lifts everyone up and no one's ever a failure and no one ever has any spiritual challenges. That's, that's the kind of thing that fills church houses. But I'm telling you, if you start preaching real Christianity, no one wants to hear it. Even Paul told Timothy, he said, in the last days, they're going to gather around for themselves people that, that'll preach what they want, that'll itch their ears because they don't want to hear the truth. And the truth is, it's not about you. It's not about me. The truth is that I'm going to love God with everything in my being and I'm going to love you in spite of how I feel, in spite of what I'm going through. That's the truth of Christianity. As a sacrifice, as Jesus did, Here, here's, here's, we're to live as wise, not as unwise. Ephesians 5 says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I mean, listen, Paul doesn't, he doesn't skirt away from the challenge that we are facing evil in our life. He says it in the very first chapter of, of Ephesians, man. He's like, but what he does, if you pay attention to the rhetoric and you pay attention to how he, he pins this, this letter, my goodness, he, he's very clear to make sure that God has all power his son saved us from our sin and wretchedness, so we are now seated with Christ, and that power has transformed our lives and now has given us authority over the enemy. Very clear, we cannot do it without Christ. We're to live as wise, not as unwise. That's how we're to live. Don't, he says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. This, this is why, I, this verse right here is why I, I wanted us to enter into the holiday season with this attitude of thanksgiving, giving God thanks for everything that we have. Because that's what a wise person does. A foolish person complains about what you don't have. A foolish person lives in complaints, lives in this, this, this ungratefulness. But Paul says, how are you to live? You're to live wise. You want to win the spiritual battle? Be a wise person. Don't be a foolish person. Here, here's the other thing is live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So we're to live in a manner worthy of our calling, and now we're to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1 says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. There it is again. Stand firm in what? In one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
My goodness, what is Paul trying to teach us about spiritual battles? He's trying to teach us that your spiritual battle is not a battle that you should be fighting alone. No one goes to war by themselves. A country goes to war. That's hundreds and millions of people. When did you ever get this idea that you're to face the enemy by yourself? Jesus didn't even face the enemy by himself. Jesus had 12 disciples and asked them to pray. But when they faltered, his father remained faithful. Jesus faced the enemy through the Spirit's power. He was never alone. And you and I are trying to fight the enemy in our own strength and our own wisdom. And, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to push the church people away. I'm telling you, you want to win the spiritual battle? Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Get together with the people of God. Pray with the people of God. Fast with the people of God. And you'll see how you'll overcome the enemy's struggle in your life. Live as an example. Timothy says, listen, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Set the example. How am I to set the example, Paul? Well, you're to do it with your speech and your conduct in love and in faith and purity. He's like, how am I supposed to live? How am I going to win this, this spiritual battle? I'm going to do it by setting the example. How do, you, how do you preach in 30 minutes? Do you do it in 30 minutes? No? Are you longer than I am? No? <laughs> I think you are. Here's the last point. So the first point that Paul's making in this, in this closing remarks to the church of Ephesus is be strong. He says, finally, be strong and stand in the Lord's mighty power. Cannot do it if you don't trust God. You won't have his power if you don't trust God. Here's the second thing that he says. He says, listen, your enemy is not, is not the people you live with. It's, it's, not, it's not the church. Your enemy is the world and, it, and, and it's, it's, you know, evil forces. But his point was he was reiterating. If you read in context, chapter 6, in light of chapters 1 through 5, Paul's reiterating here. What he already taught them is to live a certain way. And if you live this way, you're going to be victorious. And how do we know that? Well, we know it because he now gives the metaphor of the armor of God. Right? That's how we know. That's how we know. He says, he says put on the full armor of God. He says, therefore, because this is happening, you must, right? That's what he says. That's what therefore means. It's that connecting that connecting. Um, word that, that con is connecting two ideas here for us. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, and, and spiritual forces of evil in this world. Or and he says, therefore, because of that, this is what you need to do. Put on the armor of God. And he throws this metaphor out there. If you read, if you read Paul as a, char as, a, as a character study and you go through this, the, the 13 books that he wrote, you'll find that he, he really enjoyed using metaphors of, of soldiers. He tells it to Timothy. He says, Timothy, be a good soldier unto the Lord. Be a good soldier. Well, what's a good soldier? One that follows the command of his commander-in-chief. He doesn't concern himself with the affairs of, of this world. That's a good soldier. And so here he's, he's, telling, he's telling his church, he's saying, listen, church, put on the full armor of God. You want to you wanna win this spiritual battle? You want to you wanna move the church forward? Then you're going to have to put on the armor of God. And then, he, and then the metaphor unfolds for us, right? Because Paul was a prisoner at this point. You can kind of see he's staring at the Roman soldier, and there he is, right? He has his helmet, and he has his, his shield, and he has his breastplate, and his belt, and his shoes. And he's like, man, that'll make a good metaphor. You know, that'll make a, that, that, that's going to hit home with my people. If they, if they can just see this, and they can imagine, right, 
this idea of putting on something. So it's no different for us. And not to waste the precious time we have left and, not, and go through each and every piece of the armor because, that, again, it's not about the pieces of the armor, but it's about the metaphor. And here, here's, here's what he says is the armor of God. He says the armor of God, what's going to protect you in this world, what's going to protect you from the foe of your life, what's going to protect you even from your own, your own folly is, is truth. It's going to protect you. Truth is going to protect you. Jesus even said that you should know the truth and the truth sets you free. Be a truthful person. Live a life of truth, right? It's going to protect you. Righteousness is going to protect you. Be a person that's doing his best or her best to always do what is right. That's what righteousness is, is you're always trying to do what is right. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, but you're going to strive for doing what is right. So righteousness is going to protect you in this battle. The gospel of peace, think about this, gospel, the gospel that brings peace into your life. Because war and battles, they're chaotic. They can, they, when you look at the image of what war is, I don't know anyone, and you can talk to our veterans, that goes into the battlefield thinking, oh man, this is, this is easy. This is going to be a walk in the park. Not at all. I bet their hearts are coming out of their chest and they're, they're hearing gunfire and explosion everywhere and they're having to face the enemy. Well, Paul's saying, listen, the gospel is going to bring peace in the midst of your storm. The shield of faith. When you look at faith, and it's not this saving faith that Paul is referring to, but this living faith, the faith that, it, that it moves mountains that Jesus would talk about. It's the faith that the Hebrew writer would say, it is impossible to please God without faith. He says that. You need that because you're going to go into this battle and it's, it's, it's pointing back to trust. And you're going to trust God that you're going to overcome the Goliath in your life. You're going to trust God that the lions are not going to devour you when you take your, your political stand. You're going to trust God that when he calls you to do the work of the kingdom, he, the deluge is coming. You're going to trust God. That's the kind of faith that we're to have. And here's what's interesting about the, the shield of faith. It's this idea that, that you're not alone because you, if you study ancient uh, warriors their shields were always connected you've seen them in the movies they always connect their shields so that they can move as one unit and protect themselves from the enemy when you are standing alone by yourself with your own shield well the enemy can get you from all targets all around the area that you are not protecting right which is your back you always hear that phrase well Christians don't retreat that's why there's no there's no um you know, armor in the back. I'm like, man, that is, that is just foolish, foolish. Because the reason is because the way they would position themselves is they would protect one another. I don't need armor in my back if I got you standing behind me facing the enemy. The moment you leave me is the moment I become vulnerable. The moment I abandon you is the moment that, that you become vulnerable. You don't leave your wingman, Maverick. You just don't do it. Am I alone in that? Like, come on. That's what the, the shield of faith does. The, the helmet of salvation is salvation, right? It's the mind being renewed. It's like... My goodness, <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> All right, worship team, come. Paul's saying, Here, here's, here's the metaphor. It's truth, it's righteousness, it's the gospel of peace, it's a renewed mind, it's, it's the shield of faith or faith, and it's the word of the spirit. You, you want to win the spiritual battle? These are the things you need. Is this the first time you see this in Paul's writing? Absolutely not. Which I've been trying to share with you from the beginning. 
from, from Ephesians 1 all the way through 6, Paul says that we're to be righteous people. Paul says that we're to live by the truth. Paul says that we're to, we're to, we have this new salvation, this new mind, a new attitude. The old man is gone. This is in Ephesians. He talks about the word, the word of God and the power of the word. He talks about faith and he, he uses the illustration of family and the nucleus of family coming together and one another submitting to one another and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the ministry leaders coming together and learning how to submit to one another. This, what Paul is doing in the, in the closing remarks of his letter is not introducing new ideas to the church. He's reiterating what he's already been trying to teach them, which is we're trying to learn today. We want to win? Live with truth. Live with righteousness. <laughs> Live with the word of God. Live with the gospel of peace. Live with faith. You want to win? Don't abandon your wingman. Don't abandon your church. Don't abandon people of like faith. We're to go into this together. We're in this battle together. We want to win? <laughs> We're going to live a life worthy of the calling. Okay, we're going to come to a close. I, I always, in my mind, in my heart, I'm like, God, how do you always want to close out the service, right? And, and here, here's, here's what I feel the Lord has led me for this morning. If you'd stand to your feet. I, I know every one of us in this room, every one of us, there, there's not a person exempt it doesn't matter to me how long you've been walking with God. Every one of us in this room face struggles, face battles. Every one of us, at some point, if I was to survey each and every one of you and say, what is the thing that you need victory over right now? We would have something. And so, I'm going to ask you, what is the thing you need victory over right now? Because you can have it. You can have it. Well, how can I have it, Pastor? Because you just trust God. Put your trust in him the way you put your trust in other things. If you put your trust in God, God will give you wisdom how to walk through the storm. He's not going to keep you from it, but he's going to give you wisdom on how to walk through it. He'll give you the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to overcome the forces of evil in your life. I started with, with my intro saying we've, we've become desensitized with, with allowing evil to be in our, in our life. Ask the Lord to recalibrate your mind so that you can actually see with spiritual eyes. Whatever it is, I, I think today could be the start of your victory. But you got to decide, do, do, I, do I want it or is it just another sermon? Is it just another Sunday? You have to decide. I don't, just because you respond to an altar call doesn't mean that, that I'm guaranteeing this immediate victory. I'm not because I'm not God. But what I can guarantee is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. What I can guarantee is that if you lack wisdom, ask and he shall give it to you. What I can guarantee is greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What I can guarantee is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can quicken your mortal body. Come on, 
I, there are certain things I can guarantee. The timeline I cannot. That's for God and God alone to decide how much you need to walk through and how much he's going to take you from it. But if you need a victory in your life, I want you to respond to this altar call. I want you to come, come up to the front. Give each other six feet of space so that we can honor the, the social distancing. But if you need a victory in your life, this is the day. This is the day. I don't know, I don't know how it's going to manifest itself in your life, but we're just going to trust God. Is there anyone in here who say, Pastor, I need a victory. I, I need it. I need it. For whatever it is. Listen, don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Like, well, no one else is moving. That's their issue. Let, let them and God, and God wrestle with it. You, you respond. When the Spirit is speaking to you, just respond. Just respond. Just trust God. That's, that's the first part of living in courage and in faith. I'm going to trust God. Come on, is there anyone else? Anyone else say, I, I need victory. I need it over this issue. Whatever, the, maybe it might be multiple things going on in your life. Just keep making your way, navigate yourself where you can have six feet. There's, there's space up here, there's space over here. Listen, I, I, I don't have a, a formula, a prayer formula that says this is what we're going to pray and it's going to happen. What I can tell you is that we pray, which, you know, we didn't have time to get to it, but that's, Paul concludes his whole letter with pray in the spirit in all occasions. Pray. It's what you can do. It's what we're going to do right now. So, whatever you need victory over, Ask God. Ask God. So, so here, here's one of the things that I think we can learn from, from David who had a heart after God and who was by far not perfect in any stretch of the imagination. But one thing David knew is how to repent. He said, <laughs> he said and when he wrote his 51 Psalm, he said, Lord, it is you that I have sinned against. It is you that I have offended. I think that's a good place for us to start. It's like, we're going to recalibrate this. We're going to say, God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent of anything in my life that doesn't, that doesn't glorify you. And I'm going to say, it's you that I have offended. It's you that I have sinned against. And then we're going to say the words that he wrote. And he says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Come on, let those be your words. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. And cast me not away. But restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Come on, lift your hands towards heaven and talk to God. Just talk to him. Ask him. Some of you, you can't even lift your hands. Just, just lift them. Just trust God. Just trust him.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that that we can come to you and bear our hearts, our soul. We can tell you the very intimate parts of our lives and know that you are for us and not against us. How we we stand here at the altar saying we, we need a victory. We need a victory. We need, we need triumph. God, we realize that we can't win this war, this battle in our own strength, but we need you. We need your spirit. We need your power. And God, all that is activated by the way we live living worthy to the call, living worthy of the gospel, living with love, living as wise and not as unwise, living with righteousness and faith and salvation, God. All these attributes, they strengthen us for the war. They strengthen us for the battle. God, I pray for every person at this altar that you give them wisdom wisdom to to confront the enemy, wisdom to strategize for their life, wisdom, Lord God, to overcome. Give them wisdom. Let them stand in your mighty power. We thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen.